Stephen King cast one man's musings on the works of Stephen King. Each week I will review one entry in the bibliography of Stephen King in the chronological order of publication and that brings us to today where I am here to talk about um, well I'm not just here to talk about an episode an important episode of television from this past week or an important episode of television from the summer of 2018 or even this year um, I know that it seems a little too early to throw this much praise at an episode that's still so fresh with so many of us still reeling from what we just witnessed. But honestly, it's hard to watch this episode and not decree that episode seven of Castle Rock, The Queen... It's hard to say that this episode isn't one of the all-time best television episodes in TV history. Um, And I'm here to talk about why that is. So I'm very excited. Um, I just watched it again for a second time, so it's very fresh in my mind. Um, And it's, it's, it's one that forces you to really contemplate and soak it in, um, like like the best television shows do. It 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 really, really, guys. If you are just listening to the re- these reviews, um, please, you're doing yourself a disservice. I don't care what you have to do. If it means that you have to shill out six bucks for Hulu, shill out six bucks for Hulu. Just do it. Just, I mean, you're. You'll thank me later for watching Castle Rock because, first of all, it's a good show. I'm going to talk about this later in this episode. But this particular hour of television, episode 7 of Castle Rock, is is something amazing. Um, So before I get into my thoughts on the episode, I I want to read um, uh, Zach Dion's recap of episode 7 so we have a basis upon which I can build my analysis. And so... Zach writes, Behold, and I will tell you a mystery. The kid is the father, is Father Matthew Deaver. Whether he's a vessel carrying the spirit that left the reverend's body in 91 or somehow literally a younger Matthew in soul and unaging body, and if he understands, we just don't know. With scientific what-ifs understands, we just don't know. Oh, oh, sorry. With scientific what-ifs for almost all Castle Rock's apparent supernaturalities, Odin's branches schisma, Henry's tinnitus, Molly's mirror neurons, Zaleski's mental health, we shouldn't get too mired in the metaphysical unholy logistics yet. The show's been laying all this mythological groundwork, so in its most dazzling hour, we can step completely into Ruth's bathwater-filled shoes, our hearts so broken and minds so scrambled that words like Reddit and multiverse are momentarily meaningless. So if you're not weeping by the time Ruth and Alan rest in peace, you fantastic man, have their coda on the porch, you might be doing it wrong. 
And if you're hellbent on a craven shock twist to undermine what we've been given here, you definitely are. In Filter, Ruth broke down for Wendell Why, as the kid told Alan, time is her enemy. Her grandson's response in The Queen is equally key. Ruth is a time walker, a concept from an augmented reality smartphone game that summons evil specters into your actual surroundings. Rye stuff in a town where every inch is stained with someone's sin. Time walkers are the most powerful because they're, av- they're the only avatars that can actually kill the dead, Wendell tells her. They're pissed off because we're alive and they're not. You gotta stay sharp because they can change their skin and sometimes even look like your allies. Nobody stays dead in the game unless a time walker intervenes. Theoretically, Wendell tells her, you could just kill your nemesis and fix the whole timeline. Yes, Ruth has a nemesis, and it makes so much sense that he's been kept from us except a glance at his portrait and a couple quick appearances and bandages. Without the surname, Matthew might not have even rung a bell as recently as one episode ago. His toxic character is unveiled in tandem with the slow surprise that he's still walking the earth, his personality steadily bubbling up in the kid His face isn't a dead ringer for Skarsgård, but they feel virtually identical, each with the countenance of an off-kilter sketch ball equal parts lost boy and violent sufferer, nothing good behind those eyes. The kid's shy smiles and that one big broad one are horror incarnate. We revisit a selection of scenes to see how Ruth was before and after being privately whisked through time to relive the searing pain of her marriage and the enduring sweetness of loving Alan and her son. A bath time game of Norse mythology, guess who, between giggly young Henry and his Viking literature professor mom opens, are you living or dead? Oh, long dead, ancient history. Strategically placed Lewis Chessman snap Ruth back to the present, but the boundaries vanish when we return to the shot of the kid entering her kitchen after his Juniper Hill breakout. Now it's Matthew who's taking off his coat and shoes, telling Ruth to go to bed until he brushes past her and has become the kid, looking ready to fix his favorite sandwich, white bread on white bread. Ruth stumbles into the living room to see the kid's mug on the news. She eyes the cross on the wall and says it flat out, Matthew, now where are the bullets that bastard hid from her um, way once upon a wretched time? Molly shows up frantically seeking Henry, who always seems to be missing in the woods. Ruth says she saw Molly kill Matthew. We did spy her shifting conspicuously under the covers, but won't pause to hear an apology. No, you did right, Ruth says, petrified, but it didn't take. He's back in the present, not the past, but I'm going to fix it. She shuts Molly out and finds the kid has rehung a shattered family photo and put on a record of Blue Moon, asking her vacantly, remember this? Ruth cannot believe it. What? The kid prods. You don't know? In Ruth's answer, we get the shell-shocked approach to this entire reveal. I want to know if you know. You knew, Elvis sings, just what I was there for. The kid either uh, doesn't, fully or partially, or is playing a perverse game. Your husband. They played it at your wedding. You're, you're sure. But who's the couple swaying grimly to it now, again? Who's pulling Ruth to his chest, resting his chin on his head and soaking it in, folding the past into the present? Who knows the safe combination is Ruth's birthday and shares it without hesitation because he never feared his wife? You don't know what he was capable of, Ruth once told Alan. Matthew did things like poison Puck, the family dog. 
a tactic favored by mentally ill heels and it and Mr. Mercedes, and stick a pistol in his ear at a family picnic to demonstrate how he turned into God's voice. I think we should call Dr. Pierce. Ruth whispers with remarkable evenness. Matthew says he's scraped it all out of me. I'm healthy. Get a glioma, the same type of brain tumor that drove yet another King villain violently insane and under the dome. Stephen King's career-long preoccupation with the line between sanity and the other side is well represented on this show. Young Ruth appears in almost none of her flashbacks that aren't just flashbacks. Her 60-something self is there instead, mirroring the idea that Matthew might look like some dude in 2018, but he is Matthew, and the things that festered in that head were never laid to rest. Spacek herself has been sort of a time walker this whole series, one of the most iconic faces in the Kingverse, drawing and redrawing a line between Carrie and Castle Rock. It's wise to have her handle these scenes, and the only real way to show the constantly renewed agony of not leaving Matthew, of failing Henry, of missing out on 30 good years with Alan. So many of King adaptations dilute or bastardize this essence, and a few here... <clears throat> and a few hue to it uh, with the Green Mile Stand By Me Gerald's gamish, gamish success. Castle Rock chose to unwrap this secret in a way only television could, looping us through moments that seem cryptic or straightforward, then back through again and again until the truth is finally an inescapable noose. All kinds of remarks now seem to have unspoken follow-ups. The kids asking Henry's age at Shawshank, my son has grown so big. The queen reminds us Henry is older than Matthew lived to be. Terrifying the warden's sidekick with that Bible verse, I used to be a pro. Why would you leave me in that trunk, sheriff? Yeah, I remember when you were sheriff and screwing my wife. The neurologist who wants to fight the kid's amnesia by returning him to his home and possessions. Nice, do you guys still have my sermon tapes, home movies, and poorly fitting suits? <clears throat> For the thing we absolutely need the second half of, we'll have to wait. Do you remember, Warden Lacey asked the cage kid, that crazy story you told me the night I found you? Alan shows Ruth some sleight of hand magic in bed. Uh, I'll talk about that. In, <laughs> I'll talk about that in a little bit. Um, okay, so guys, that is uh, Zach's uh, review. And so now, what I want to do, I I I just want to get into it. Now, most of my episodes with Castle Rock, I've just reviewed the events and I have commented on them, but. This isn't your typical episode of not only Castle Rock, but just of television. So it's not going to be reviewed the same way. Um, because this this is through the perspective of Ruth. Um, you know, and and it's important to be able to really understand what that means and, and to celebrate this, that, that we're getting this perspective of a character who has been sidelined. And I, I had gotten worried that... Um, we weren't going to get an hour like this that, that really showed why they casted Sissy Spacek. Because if you listen to my interview with Dustin Thomason, he said that you know they, they casted her because they, they wanted to, to capture a particular performance. Um, and so I had been watching the show and I'd been enjoying her performance, but it, 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 to me, it, it didn't seem as though they... It could have been anyone, right? It didn't have to be Sissy Spacek. And they said they didn't cast Sissy Spacek because of the Carrie um, uh, casting. And so I was waiting for, for, for proof of this. And this is the episode where we get it. This, guys, is an incredible hour of television for the structure, 
certainly for the, the, the ins and the outs and the, the, the thrusting the viewer into the perspective of someone that is suffering from dementia, but also for the performance by Sissy Spacek, which it's it's beautiful. It, it, it truly um, is beautiful. Guys, th- this is an episode about the perspective of, of someone with dementia. This is an episode about true love, of tragedy, of heartbreak, of not feeling in control of your life, of, of, of attempting to take control of your life. Um, it's, it, it's about a lot. There's a lot to this. It is, it is a deep, meaty episode that I, I just, I, I'm going to enjoy chewing on um, in my review of it. So, it, like I tweeted out, for those of you who follow me on Twitter, it, it, it gets right what so many adaptations of Stephen King just get wrong. This is about the characters. It's not about the horror. The horror of Stephen King is horrific, not just because it's scary, but because we care about the people. It's always about the people. It's always been about the people. It's right there in the first book, in the title of the very first book. Fittingly appropriate enough, um, considering I'm talking about this episode. Carrie, the book title says it all. It's about a girl. It's about a person, a human, with her own hopes and dreams and struggles and pains. It's, it's, not, it's not about telekinesis or revenge. It's about a young girl named Carrie. Played in the movie, famously, iconically, by Sissy Spacek, who gives a performance... Which, Jesus, I, I, I'm getting a little teary. I think about this, but um, this performance, guys, is is this the one? Is is this the one where she's going to be remembered for? You know, is she going to be remembered by this performance? And if that's true, think about the beauty of that. You know, she 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 rockets into stardom in conjunction with the birth of the Stephen King career. And in her twilight years, bookends her career with this amazingly heartfelt, heartbreaking, tragic, loving, sad, strong, vulnerable, kind, vengeful performance. It, it, it's truly outstanding. I mean, and, and she wasn't cast because she played Carrie White. She was cast for her strength as an actress. But, uh, of course, her being Carrie White, it, it adds this undeniable flavor to this meal that this that, that, that you couldn't have gotten from another ingredient um, and it, it it's it's a um, it's a bite it's it's a flavor it's a taste that you're not going to be able to experience again um, and I'm so grateful for it now I wanted to like Castle Rock Right, you know, when I first saw the teaser in uh, way back when in February of 2017, I, uh, I I wanted to like it. Right, it was a great teaser, but boy, <clears throat> was I scared. You know, because I I had gotten hyped for 112263, um, and the first trailer comes out, and I liked, and the second trailer for that came out, and um, 
the music just really made me think that they understood it, that they, that they got what was going to make this such an important story. Um, and then I started watching the show, and I liked it, and I held out hope, but every episode that went by, I, I, I was less and less confident that it was the show that I, I, I thought that it could have been. And then finally, there's a CGI tier, um, and that, that kind of says it all. Uh, to me, I mean, it, ultimately, eleven twenty two sixty three. Um, there was a, a great lack of depth in in what I consider to be the in the book form was Stephen King's most potent, powerful love story, and um, so all of this, it there was a hesitation that I had in in truly embracing Castle Rock. I, I wanted to like it, I really did. Um, and, and when it started, I did like it. I enjoyed it. But I, I still worried with 112263 still fresh in my mouth and the, the taste of it uh, it's still still in there. I, I was worried that it wasn't going to fulfill its promise. So I liked episode one. I liked episode two. I liked episode three. And then episode four comes. And, and in my review of episode four, you know, I, I discussed... A couple scenes, and there was the scene where Henry is in the woods, in 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 the house in the woods, um, with David Selby, and it was really well done, and it made me perk up and say, okay, there there is a a mastery of craft in this that you don't always see in television shows, all right, and certainly not in eleven twenty two sixty three, and it really made me perk up, and then of course the ending concludes in episode four with a. Uh, an amazingly done sequence that is so powerful and again heartbreaking and gripping and thrilling and sad and tragic and, and horrible. Um, and again, it, it showed a mastery at work. So what that was to me, I mean, this was, you know, 112263 after a couple episodes of warming up in the ring. This is the show delivering a couple jabs to the opponent, okay? A, a, a little bit more. It's not feeling out the opponent anymore. It's it's a pop pop, saying I'm here. Okay, you gotta pay pay attention to me. Then episode six comes. Okay, and it flexes and it's doing a little bit of dance in the ring. I mean, the last twelve minutes of episode six. I mean, come on, that's that's some showboating right there. And and you're sitting in the audience going, huh? Okay, all right. There's there's some pomposity here, and I, I'm liking it. I'm liking what they're doing. And then episode seven comes in, and the show, in a flurry of fists, backs us into the corner and is unrelenting, just blow after blow after blow, um, showing us how dominant the showrunners and Sam Shaw, the co-writer here, the director, everyone involved, just how confident they are in crafting this. Episode 7, entitled The Queen. All right, this is an award contender um, for Sissy Spacek, for the episode itself, for the writing. All right, this could put Castle Rock in best drama category. Um, it would probably be limited series event, right? But it it should be it should be level. It should be nominated for for some category for sure. 
but this is a reward contender. This is a career maker. All right. I, I feel though, I, I feel that Sam Shaw, I feel like Dustin Thomason really are elevated after this episode. You know, I mean, we, we, it's weird. 20 years ago, did people know the names of showrunners? I, I mean, we, we did, you know, with, uh, with David Chase, with Damon Lindelof, Carlton Cuse, with uh, Matthew Weiner, with Vince Gilligan, Chris Carter. Um, you know, I, we start to, to get to know showrunners, right? They, they, they become as, as important as the directors, as, as the writers. Um, I wouldn't be surprised that after this, uh, Sam Shaw and Dustin Thomason, those names start to get known um, in, in wider circles uh, in, in the way that some of our greatest showrunners are, are known because episodes like this are, um, yeah, I feel like these are career makers. So let's talk... Let's talk about the queen herself. Let's talk about Ruth. Oh, my God, guys, this episode. I mean, this was great because it allowed for us to see the perspective of Ruth while filling in the other side of scenes that we had previously seen. And and not only do we see life through her perspective, but in conjunction with scenes that we had already experienced and it was just a a very clever way of going about it and there's a doubling and a repetition which reinforces her dementia but also foreshadows the things that are going to come so i mean we have a lot of double we have the two dead dogs right um we have two dead husbands um or or lovers um you, you know we and we also have alan looking like a shaggy dog in his later years, I mean, he and he falls around like a puppy in in love. So I I think that that's something we said too. We have the constant reappearance of the gun, just again and again and again um, on the shelf. Matthew holding it, Ruth holding it. So two halves of the same marriage, um, and who pays the price in the end, but the man who had loved the woman that had been married, and there's sort of like a, I don't want to say vengeance, like a a cosmic vengeance, but there there is a wrath wrought upon Alan here. Um, There is a, a, a universal tragedy um, and it's interesting that it comes at the hands of the wife who held the gun that was owned by the husband. Um, and w- what's important here is that it, this was all Sissy Spacek who was able to just play Ruth for her entire life in a tour de force performance, and a beautiful performance. And um, rather than recasting Ruth with younger Actresses, it, it, it just allowed Sissy Spacek to play 30-something Ruth, 40-something Ruth, 50-something Ruth, 60-something Ruth. And it just shows that who you are is who you are. And you can flip through your memories in the present. And as you flip through your memories, you, you, you will be the person that you are now. And it, I, I just think that if it had recasted and constantly recasted, it would... It, it would definitely take away, but this it allows her to just truly ground the the show in in her impending tragedy. And the dementia at, at that's on display here, it 
that's interesting because it isn't necessarily seen as just a curse. At times, there's a there's a lightness to it, I guess. You know, it allows for a perspective of life and time that, that people can experience. Um, you know, her watching herself in happier times, it's, you know, it's like a beautiful, happy version of the ending of Our Town. It's a visual representation of how people with dementia will think they're in different moments of their past and their memories and just allows Sissy Spacek to watch herself um, in a very fantastic way to illustrate this sensation. And of course, you know, I, I talked about Sissy Spacek being Carrie White and, and, and this also allows for, I tweeted this out, I put this out on Instagram, but come on guys, just watching Carrie White face off with Bill Skarsgård Come on, it is so gleefully fanboyish, right? Like, on one end of the room, you have Sissy Spacek. On the other end of the room, you have Bill Skarsgård. But really, on one end of the room, it's Carrie White. And on the other end of the room, it's Pennywise, the dancing clown. I've talked about the Alpha and the Omega, um, the two bookends. And, and, and here they are. And, oh, man, what an image. But without all of that, that scene between the two of them, there is such uncertainty in what's occurring here. Is he threatening? Is he misunderstood? You know, does her condition um, allow her to see through him? Or is her slippery grasp on her surroundings, does it create a false impression of him? In her mind, spurned on by her grandson's video game, she's a hero, but what if she's just a woman with a failing grasp of reality who saw danger when there wasn't any and who killed the love of her life because of it? Or was this cosmically orchestrated by the kid as revenge on Alan for allowing him to be locked up in a cage? The fact that we're still asking this question for seven weeks in a row is a sign of wonderful storytelling. And then with Alan, I mean, this is a man that just loved Ruth unconditionally. He'll bury a dog in the snow in a suitcase, no questions asked. He'll unbury that same dog, no one questions asked. You know, he'll fight for her. He's ready to fight the neurologist, the the the, the owner of the uh, junkyard. Um, so to, to know where this is all heading... I mean, the, the, the breadcrumbs had been laid, right? I mean, the, the foundation had been laid. We, we really have seen this man head over heels in love um, with this woman in their twilight years. And there has been such a warmth and beauty to it. It, it, it just <clears throat> tinges this thing in, in heartbreak. Um, that magic trick in the bedroom, guys, what a beautiful scene. You know, of just the two of them being so comfortable with one another and so playful and so childlike and innocent um, and, and, and just watching her in the room, in the present, look back into the past and, and how happy and content she is to be able to relive that moment. That's why I, I just said a, a minute ago how, how this dementia and Alzheimer's, it's showing that it's not always nightmarish, that it does allow for 
for some beauty, for some happiness. Um, and and credit to Sam Shaw, Dustin Thomason, the other writers, the the directors, they they have done and 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 of course uh, Scott Glenn and Sissy Spacek for for being able to create this love um, on screen in in seven episodes. Um, we haven't had a lot of it, but what we had half of it, um, have had of it, has been very, very strong. Like I had said in a previous episode, I, I could have just had an hour-long drama of just the two of them and their relationship uh, because the the chemistry between these two actors and their story is it's powerful, it's magnetic, and at their age, it's it's not the type of love story that you often get to see. Now, Oh, God. And then at the end, and I'll talk about the end, but I keep thinking about how much he loves her, right? And after being shot, he knows she didn't mean it. And he's able to touch her one last time, and his hand drops. And then not having the strength to touch her again, and you you know that in his death, all he wants to do is be able to hold her, right? That's all he wants to do. Not for his own peace of mind as he goes, but to let her know that it's okay. And what's the last thing that he do? That, that What's the last thing that he does? He just lets out a breath on her, just a, a blow. He blows on her, you know. And it's his, it's his only way of being able to touch her one last time as if to tell her, Ruth, it's okay. And so much is conveyed there because of everything that has come before it and in the performances by these two, um, especially the performance by Scott Glenn, who has shown such love and tenderness towards Sissy Spacek's Ruth, so that when this death scene is happening and he does do that blow on her, it is so tender and it's so sad and it's so loaded. Um, That could not pay off unless we had had... um, that vulnerability from him um, in in the previous episodes. Now I want to talk about the, the the supernatural or lack thereof because I'm not I'm not quite sure. Now is what we're seeing with Ruth is this a representation of a natural condition, or is she supernaturally sliding in and out of different time periods due to the schisma? Um, now at one point when present day Ruth enters the room, uh, the memory of her previous self looks up from reading to young Henry to smile at herself. Now, how could the previous memory of herself know she was there if the present day version of her hadn't stepped into that memory yet? Is this indication that there is a legitimate time travel of consciousness occurring? Or is it just the memory understanding that's just a memory? Also, the, the episode concludes with Ruth and Alan. Now, is this Ruth greeting Alan with the knowledge of what is eventually going to occur and to us and to her what just occurred, meaning the murder of Alan at her own hands? It definitely seems so. Um, with her saying, please, please don't leave, with him saying, I'm not going anywhere, um, and with him saying, oh, God, God, I could be dead in the ground and folks would still ring me when they need a policeman. I mean, these lines, guys, these lines. Um, I'm telling you, this needs to win something. Um, 
And also with the supernatural or not supernatural, is schisma a thing? Right? You know, Henry tells Matthew, he hears it um, in the kitchen, but the, the shake of his head he gives to Ruth, you know, shows that he knows that his father was suffering his own slippage from reality, caused most likely not from the sounds of the universe trying to reconcile with each other, but from brain cancer. Um, and is the kid able to give her the combination to the safe? Or does she figure it out herself with, while Tyler durdening the information, right? You know, she thinks that the kid gives it to her, but does he? She thinks he tells her that Blue Moon was playing at her wedding, but does he actually say it? Similar, like, she sees Matthew walk into the house, but we know that's not Matthew. It doesn't look like that. It, it looks like the kid. So every time she's looking at Bill Skarsgård, is she seeing Matthew? And if she is, then the words that are coming out of his mouth, are they actual the, actually the words that are coming out of his mouth, or are they creations of her mind? But the, what's great is that this is the question, first and foremost. The horror comes from the uncertainty that the viewer has while following along with an unreliable narrator. We see the scene through her perspective, but is this the true perspective? The director builds the dread with the skipping record and the nightmarish sequence in which Ruth runs from the kid only to be trapped in a sea of mourners attending Matthew Deaver's wake. Knowing that her mind is in the past while the kid is in the present creates such a strong sense of vulnerability and anxiety and the unknown that we can't help but feel for Ruth in this moment. But are we feeling legitimate fear? based on reality, or are we feeling fear based on her perception of reality, which could be warped to the point where it's irrational and unrealistic and not truthful, and that any fear that she might have might be not grounded in any reality, and she shouldn't be afraid, and she shouldn't want to get a gun, and she shouldn't need to get a gun, and her shooting the gun, as we can see, leads to the death of the man in her life. Which brings me to the ending. The author uh, of this episode, co-runner Sam Shaw, he prepares us for this moment earlier in the episode when Alan references the moment they were finally able to reconnect or connect or connect um, when Ruth begged him not to leave. Right? Of course, this is going to play out beautifully and tragically in the end, and and just from a a visual perspective. It's beautiful. With the, the, the autumnal leaves in the background, you can just sense the, the crispness of the fall all around them and, and think about the, the symbolism of that for a couple of reasons. One, um, you know, their, their love begins in earnest in the fall, not in spring, not in summer, not in seasons that represent youth, but in fall, which is the, 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 the precursor to the death of the world, right? It is, um, you know, it's, it's when the seasons uh, say goodbye, when the leaves start to die, when the, the earth um, begins to grow cold. Um, and, and, and rolls over into a, a season of complete death, right? And, and that's foreshadowing for their love and for Henry, 
that they enter their love in a time of decline, of decay. And uh, that is represented with just the, the beautiful shot of the, the leaves on the trees. Um, and, and this ending, us knowing, we know in the moment, we know what's happening when she is running from the kid and getting the gun, and we know who she's firing at. We know it's not the kid, and it's so painful for just fans of the show, but for Stephen King fans, guys, for me, I've long been on record saying how much I've loved Alan Pangborn as a character. Uh, man, to see him shot down like that, that's, that was hard. That was hard. And earlier in this episode, um, the, just the, the celebration of Alan, um, him being the, the magician again, that, that he was, that was such a character trait in Needful Things. And I, I just really appreciate Sam Shaw and Dustin Thomason giving us um, the, the, this little tidbit um, in, in this season once a couple episodes ago and, and once here to just show that he was a magician um, when it's so truthful to who he is as a character. And it's not betraying the show or, or the truth of this show um, to just be a moment of, of fan service. It, it's in honor of this character. It, um, it's, it's great. Um, so goodbye, Alan. Uh, and, and thank you, Scott Glenn, for portraying Alan. And this was a, a really, really great performance. And thank you, Sam Shaw and Dustin Thomason. So, guys, just some stray thoughts that I have. Um, the actor that is playing young Henry fucking nails it as a young Andre Holland. Now, I am not overly familiar with Andre Holland. I haven't seen Moonlight. Um, it's a cultural blind spot. Uh, for me, um, I did see some of the American Horror Story season that he was in. I'm out on American Horror Story. Excuse me, guys. I'm sorry. But it's late, and I wanted to get this episode out. Um, I was kind of, I've been out on American Horror Story, but I did catch a couple episodes with, with him in it. Um, but I, so I'm mostly familiar with Castle Rock. Um, but there are some mannerisms from this young actor, a way he looks with his eyes. Um, the way his mouth moves, that is so Andre Holland. It was amazing. It was amazing. Um, so I just wanted to, to give time to, to, to shout that out. Um, another thing, uh, Matthew Deaver's sermon that he gives is so winding and repetitive um, that it, it's another form of the looping and the doubling that reinforces the dementia. So just listen. Behold, I will tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep but we shall be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye as the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must be put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then um, shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. 
but thanks to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Um, so there is just so much doubling and repetition um, in that. And, and yes, I think that that is a very effective way to reinforce the, the, the doubling that um, we get uh, with, with Ruth. Now, one thing that I, I, I have to say here from as being a Stephen King fan, uh, as the kid walks through the house, um, Ruth sees at one point what I think is the king of the chessboard. Um, not the white king, but the red king. <clears throat> um, otherwise known as the Crimson King. Now, is, just, is this a, a, a little wink to the crowd, or is this something more? Is this tipping the its hand saying, look out for this, look out for the kid. The kid is dangerous. The kid is evil. The kid is more in line with the devil persona that people think that he is than the um, victim of his own curse that he that he could be that I have um, postulated in previous episodes. Um, from what I understand, I think Bill Skarsgård had said something about how his character is tied into a character of Stephen King mythology. I don't know. That could be misconstrued. That is me not saying anything based on my own research, but what I've heard, and I have not vetted it. So I uh, take that with a grain of salt. Um, but hey, there's only a couple more episodes left. I'm very, very curious. Okay, guys, with all that said, this episode truly is incredible. Um, like I said last week in my episode, I knew that there was a special episode coming. I, and even though I kind of prepared myself for it, I don't think you can. Like, I, I expected something heady, um, something time travel-y. Definitely got it. I did not expect it to be so heartfelt. And I should have because there were pictures of Desmond on the phone talking to Penny floating around Twitter. At, uh, Twitter. And I, I just said Twitter. Um... And I should have known. I should have known what that image was conveying, which wasn't signifying the time travel aspect, but the time travel slash love um, across time and space um, that 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 the the constant from lost represented. And here the same thing. We have this love story set against the backdrop of whether it's literal time travel or um, metaphoric time travel, but it is occurring, and it is, man, man, is it heartbreaking. Uh, guys, um, Dustin Thomason, Sam Shaw, if you happen to be listening to this episode, congratulations, guys. This truly was a remarkable piece of television, um, exquisitely rendered um, in, in heartbreaking detail. Um, I know Sissy Spake is, Spacek is not listening to this episode, but if by chance you are, um, Mrs. Spacek, thank you so much for this hour of television. Um, it, it, it truly um, is one of those television experiences that, that I am not going to forget for the rest of my life. Um, I'm very grateful for this. I'm grateful for this episode for getting right 
like I said, what so many adaptations about Stephen King get wrong. Um, and it put the characters first and foremost. And by caring about the characters, we care about their conflicts and we care about the horror being um, visited upon them. So thank you to everyone that has listened to this uh, more rambling styled episode of uh, review that... Um, typically my, my episodes are a little bit more, more structured than this, but I, I just want to thank everyone, um, for this. This was a, a great episode of television guys, and I'm looking forward to, um, episode eight guys. And also if you're fans of, uh, David Lynch and Twin Peaks, make sure you check out my other, uh, podcast, Hanging with Agent Cooper, um, which, um, my, the next episode should be dropping sometime this weekend and we'll be, I'll be wrapping that up soon. And um, lastly, I just want to give a shout out. I'm late to this show. It's been on my radar. I, I, I watched a couple episodes two years ago, um, but kind of fell out. Um, but I, I, I watched the entire show in its entirety in the span of just a couple weeks um, and fell madly in love with it. Um, and that show is Gravity Falls. It's a, for those of you unaware, it's a cartoon. Um, the, the, the creator, Alex Hirsch, envisioned it as a mix of The Simpsons meets Twin Peaks and The X-Files. And it is a perfect... That is a perfect distillation of what the show is. It is um, funny and clever, and uh, it is <laughs> it's a kids show, and but it's definitely not a kids show at the same time. There is some imagery and things that happen that are truly horrifying, and very adult and disturbing. There are there are some disturbing images. There is a Lovecraftian type of mischievous, impish evil um, rooted in, in sort of Black Lodge weirdness um, that is the, the main villain that is... What he winds up doing to people is, is a thing of nightmares, not to give it away, but there it is so clever and it is the celebration of childhood wonder and exploration and adventure um, in the woods and solving mysteries and um, decades spanning uh, conspiracies and secrets and long-held secrets by family members. And it's just fun with a great voice cast and... Um, when the conclusion lands, uh, the hour-long episode, which caps up a three-part story arc that really just wraps up the entire series. Uh, there's 40 episodes total, 20 episodes per season. Um, it's a knockout. It's it's you know, it it it's a perfect landing of what I consider to be a perfect show. So Gravity Falls uh, has been an incredible summer viewing experience for me. And if you haven't checked it out, um, I strongly recommend it. I know that a lot of people listening to this, the, the Venn diagram of Stephen King and cartoons uh, might not, you might not share that that middle space of the Venn diagram. But for those of, of you that, that do share some space uh, in the middle, please check out Gravity Falls because it, it, it really was uh, a, a special special viewing experience. And it has a huge, huge fan base. You can find it on Hulu. Um, 
the episodes go go by so quickly, and um, I, I, I'm sure that you'll fall in love with Mabel and Dipper and Grunkle Stan and Seuss and Wendy and 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 and, and the whole gang. So, Gravity Falls, I I, I I strongly strongly encourage you to to check it out. Okay, guys, that is all that I have for this week. But like I said, um, check out Hanging with Agent Cooper, my other podcast. Um, and stay tuned for, for next week where I'll get into the uh, episode 8 of, of Castle Rock. So, guys, may you have long days and pleasant nights. And I will see you here next week where M-O-O-N spells Stephen King Cast. <laughs>